All right, good morning, everybody. My name is Trinity Thompson, and I am hosting today's episode of Black Mental Health Matters. And today we are talking about updated and new healthcare policies and crisis resources. And I am here today with my esteemed guest host, um, Sonia Hart, representing from Barbados. Sonia, do you want to introduce yourself really quick? For some of our sure. new viewers. Good morning, everyone. I'm I'm from Barbados and I'm a licensed spiritual practitioner with Centers for Spiritual Living, Colorado. All right, perfect. So um, with today's episode being about new healthcare policies and crisis resources, we will be talking a little bit about um, different uh, policies that have been in, that have been set in place both in the United States and um, also in Barbados. And hoping that you know we can open up a, a conversation about kind of policies across the African diaspora. Um, even though, you know, we don't know the exact um, policies or specific policies that might be set in place across our um, different countries of in which where we live, but we can at least start to open up the conversation and see maybe some of the similarities between the U.S. and Barbados and um, maybe some of the similarities and the differences um, across the populations that we serve. So before I get into um, the policies that I actually did a little bit of research on. I want to know, um, Sonia, what um, what kind of policies um, do you put in place or do you have any policies that you put in place for some of the clients that you serve? And like any of your own specific, not maybe like government um, regulated, but is there anything that you do um, or that you set in place like with the um, clients that you work with? Um, my policies as a licensed spiritual practitioner are governed by centers for spiritual living. Okay. And there are two areas of that policy that I guess with any other counseling profession that comes into place, we ask that one would be confidential Mm -hmm. And two, if we come across situations that are not within our zone, you know, areas that we cannot really treat to, that we do referrals. That, that's is CSL's policy as far as me being a practitioner and dealing with clients. If I can't, and I know that I'm not um, qualified to handle their particular situation, especially if it comes down to a mental health issue, that I do the referral. Um, here in Barbados, we do have the Mental Health Act of 19, I think it's 1998, I stand corrected on that, that governs how patients are treated within our mental health care system. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that that's something that I feel in my personal experience and also seeing other experiences, um, therapists or people that are healthcare providers, um, you know, be in the spiritual realm, psychiatric, uh, whatever have you. Um, I have seen providers that do have a hard time turning down um, patients that may not fit their area of expertise. So maybe a patient that is suffering from a more severe mood disorder um, than like depression, anxiety, maybe something like bipolar disorder, where they think that they can like try and treat that with the same tactics as treating depression, anxiety. But in reality, they don't want to admit to themselves and the client that they um, don't have that kind of level of expertise and they have a hard time passing up the client when in reality, it's only the client that's suffering because they're not receiving the adequate treatment. But on the other hand, I've also um, seen in my experience um, people or providers that do pass up um, clients that they know that they will not be able to treat and they do refer them to some of their colleagues that may have more um, knowledge in the field of whatever the client is trying to um, work through. So I've seen a little bit um, on both ends of the spectrum 
So I definitely um, commend you for knowing, you know, your limits and your boundaries as far as what you feel comfortable um, going ahead and practicing and working for with the client versus saying, you know, uh, we can stop right here. Um, and I can pass you, I feel more comfortable passing you along to somebody that has more knowledge in this field than I do. Cause I think that sometimes like people's pride gets in the way and they don't really want to pass up the opportunity to have a client because, you know, it means more money, but you know, in reality, like I said, it only hurts the patient. Um, and I think as far as my experience, yeah, and, and that's the thing. Mm -hmm. go ahead. I think, I think the financials is an issue. And I know that sometimes in, in the care that you want to give, you want to give the best possible care. And if you're really concerned about the well-being of the person who sits before you, you will make that judgment call and say, you know what? I am a licensed spiritual practitioner. I'm mm -hmm. not a psychiatrist. This person needs to see a psychiatrist because there is that difference between psychology and psychiatry. Right. If you chemical imbalance, I cannot treat you for that. I'm not licensed to dish out medication. Mm -hmm. And I'm not licensed to cross into the medical area in terms of the biological function of the brain and what's going on. Mm -hmm. I can speak to the emotional and the spiritual issues that you're experiencing. Right. And that's even why Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think that's why it is necessary with the professional hum and even here in Barbados that there should be clearly defined guidelines for professionals who are doing mental health care at any level. There should be policies that speak to that. Yes, we do have the mental health app, but that goes through the patient's rights from a legal perspective. Mm -hmm. The caregivers, deals with the caregivers and then with the profession. And in some cases, what the court can do in some situations. But I think that those persons who are working to assist in helping others to become better should also have governing policies as to what we can and cannot do in certain situations. Right, exactly. Um, I think that from uh, my experience as working as a psychiatric technician in a psychiatric uh, inpatient hospital, one of the things that we pride ourselves on is patients' rights and advocacy. So one of the things that we do when we first admit a patient as psychiatric technicians, we have a booklet that has information about the hospital, information about advanced directives. And if you don't know what advanced directives are for our viewers, advanced directives basically covers um, information about power of attorneys and conservators and things of this sort. So people that can make decisions for you in the event that you are um, incapacitated, you know, or you're just not able to, you're not coherent enough to make decisions for yourself. So we have um, a guide that kind of helps patients um, make uh, or just it just gives information about those things, especially uh, beginner information if you don't if you've never heard of that stuff before. And um, we just want to make sure that our patients know what their rights are as far as them being a patient in our um, you on our unit and uh, rights versus being signed in voluntarily or being signed in um, involuntarily. So they're on a physician's emergency certificate where they um, are be they are being held there against their will, but they need to be to be medicated and treated. And um, we just we definitely work our hardest to um, encourage patients to definitely use our patients advocacy line if they feel that they are being mistreated in any way or if they feel like their voice by themselves is not being heard um and we have people to step in and kind of help uh the patient advocate for themselves in the event that they are not able to so i definitely think that that's something that could be if it's not in all in all hospitals it definitely should be um more of like a policy regulate or regulated policy 
And do you guys like, have, do you know if there's anything like that in Barbados, like as far as like the hospitals are concerned? Like if they, if they- I am them? not sure of what happens within the hospital, but I know that our mental health um, speak to a lot of those issues that you just spoke about. Mm -hmm. But I am not sure that the hospitals here, we have one major hospital and okay. then we have a few private hospitals. But I'm not sure what the hospital policies are in okay. terms of the admittance of persons with mental health issues. I know that we have a psychiatric hospital, which is separate from the major general hospital. Mm -hmm. However, the general hospital also has psychiatric wards on it. So okay. the wards where if you go in, but I do not work in that area. So I really can't speak to all of what happens in that area. Right. I just right. know the mental health app covers persons with mental health issues and how the caregivers are dealt with and stuff like that in those situations. But I can't speak a lot on that because I'm not in that area. Right. Okay. There's definitely no problem. Um, I just know that from... Um, in the U.S., a lot of hospitals, especially psychiatric hospitals, or which historically have been called, you know, psych wards or like um, mental asylums, um, they kind of get a bad rep, especially to this very day of um, patients not being, this patients kind of like being tricked by doctors and um, healthcare workers and not being able to express um their own rights and their own um autonomy as far as making decisions about their own um individualized health care plans when in reality that's not the case um especially at the hospital that i work at uh patients have a very fine um set of rights um especially you know being being admitted into an inpatient unit and we definitely strive to make sure that the patient knows that at all times, that especially if they are signed in voluntarily, that they can do things like sign a three-day letter and um, if they want to leave, but you know, unfortunately that's not the case if you're signed in involuntarily. But all patients have rights, regardless of the status that you're in, um, patients have the right to, um, oh, I'm, I'm blanking on the terms, but basically uh, patients have the right to be, um, just lost it again, <laughs> be treated with dignity. So um, whatever the whatever the case is that um, you are in, um, be it if you are incoherent versus coherent, if you are in the middle of a psychotic episode, all patients have the right to um, being treated with dignity. So that means we, if you're not um, able to care for yourself, we step in as staff and we help take care of you. We don't let you just sit there and soil yourself and you know, bang your head against the wall until you kind of come out of this psychotic um, break. We actually go in and like take care of you because as a patient, you should you have the right to dignity. So um, just respecting like basic human rights and then and then going above and beyond. So I so that, go ahead. <laughs> that calls for a level of training mm -hmm. um, that I cannot even speak to because I don't know what training our psychiatric nurses go through to deal with those things I, I know i've heard complaints from people even in the general hospital that some people some caregivers are not suitable for the position in terms of the manner in which they treat customers but we still must realize that people show up as who they are and because I'm a caregiver doesn't mean that I'm going to be compassionate. I might be carrying my own demons within me and just transfer that into the kind of care that I'm given. And I remember this incident in the general hospital with my aunt. She had a rash on her skin. And I remember being in the ER and the nurse said, I'm not touching her because I don't know what she has. Right. And I was pissed. I was pissed because how is it you signed up to be a caregiver and you're going to be scornful with someone in your care you know because mm -hmm. my thing is you put on your gloves you do what you have to do you know that was my thinking you put if on you your gloves, you caregiver you you're to supposed to give care you know it's kind of in the title <laughs> yes um so for me i think that 
healthcare policy should speak to these things. And I know for me as a spiritual practitioner, there are codes and ethics and policies that I must observe in order to maintain my license. Mm -hmm. And I think that the same should be for any other healthcare provider within the policies of the either the institution or at the national level. That policies should speak to the codes of ethics that you're going to bring to the job and the policies and procedures so that you don't just have license forever but you have to go before a review board maybe every three years two years however and that certain practices are always being practiced by the individual in terms of the care that they're delivering and the reason i say this is that we impact the well-being of others at a spiritual level and a mental level based on how we treat them People remember, you know, I didn't like that experience. And they, some people will carry it forever and ever. And therefore, you have the issue being repeated over and over because then they suffer from depression or whatever. And that feeling like I wasn't cared for properly. People don't care about me. And that impacts on you. So health care policy should not just address the patient, but also the caregiver. And you know what? We um, definitely have had conversations about that within uh, my own staff because work, especially working in a psychiatric facility, it's very easy to get burnt out. And um, I've been, um, I feel like I've reached a point of burnout before. It's even, um, I think burnouts can even occur within just a few days, especially with working at a psychiatric facility. You know, we are a place that is open 24 hours a day. 365 days a year. We don't ever close because we are a hospital and we serve people that are in need of help at all times. It does not stop. So we have um, staff that do double shifts. That's 16 hours. They turn around and go home, maybe get a, a few hours of sleep, get some food for eight hours. That's really not enough time to get a full decent um, time, like a full decent amount of sleep and like get some food to eat and take care of yourself and then turn around and go back to work for another 16 hours. So the mental, the mental health state that you are in definitely can affect the level of care that you can provide to other people. And um, we definitely work, I feel like at um, our hospital, Institute of Living in Hartford, Connecticut, um, we definitely work to make sure that we, we support each other as staff to make sure that the patient is not being you know, abused and neglected in any way because of your own mental health and your own sanity. And um, I definitely think that that's a, definitely a good point to make sure that there's somewhere in uh, within like the, pol the policies and the regulations that we have as caregivers to make sure that we take care of ourselves first because we can't take care of other people if we don't take care of ourselves. So I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up. So I wanna move into the first act that I, um, did a little bit of research on, and I recognize that you are from Barbados, you are not from the United States, but I'm hoping that maybe um, you can just share a little bit about maybe um, maybe some similarities that you see like within the own, um, within your own practice and um, some, like maybe some of the populations that you serve and maybe if there are questions that you have for me um, within like my own experience working in a hospital in the U.S., a, a psychiatric hospital in the U.S. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about um, is the Low Healthcare Cost Act, which was passed in 2019. And, you know, before we got on here, we talked a little bit about um, Barbados and like their timeline of updating um, uh, laws and acts and policies. So the Lower Healthcare Costs Act for our um, participants that live in the U.S. and even just across the world, um, it was a pass that was an, was an act, sorry, that was enacted in July 2019. And basically it talks about working to provide financial relief with lower costs for things like visits, uh, prescriptions, um, diagnostic testing screens, things of the sort for patients. Um, and families that are just uh, seeking health care services. So 
with this act, I definitely feel as though in the United States, um, healthcare is one of like our billion dollar industries, you know, our economy wouldn't be where it is now without healthcare. And because of that, you know, healthcare costs, they skyrocket. We pay a lot of money for things that um, should be like, I, in my personal opinion, things that should be um, as low cost or free, free of cost in general, things like prescriptions, things that people need. I don't think that necessarily we should be trying to capitalize on it. But in the in um, Barbados, tell me, Sonia, if um, what what do how like what kind of significance do do you think like the healthcare and like the insurance and things like that? Um, how significant is that in like your country's economy? Repeat the question. You dropped talk okay. about Yeah. So, how significant of a role does healthcare and insurance play in um, the economy of Barbados? Like, do, um, does it play like a significant part? Is that like some something that like brings in a lot of money to um, the Barbados economy, or is it like some other things like leisure and like travel and like tourists and things? Hmm. Now, you know, that's a good question. <laughs> and you've asked me a question about insurance. And I know that we do have health insurance here. Mm. People, Some people do pay health insurance. But because of the way our health care is structured, especially if you go to a public institution where there are, and I would say, no cost to the patient up front. There's no cost to the patient up front. I think we're in a fairly good position to say that we do not push health as an income generating aspect of our economy. Mm -hmm. I think I can safely say that unless it is health tourism. Okay. Yeah, unless it is health tourism where people are coming from abroad to, and not even to our hospitals, but to have some sort of health care. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, I don't know that we look towards our healthcare as generating billions of dollars for our economy. Okay. Because, yeah, for most people, healthcare is either, and I'm going to use the word free, not that it's free, because I believe that every taxpayer contributes to that. But the minimum, you don't pay a lot for it. Okay. However, if you if you go to the general hospital as a private patient, then you pay some fees. You'll have a few fees. And it's not as expensive as in the USA. Healthcare in Barbados uh, is not because a lot of it is heavily subsidized. Um, persons who are, are pensioners, for example, how their medication subsidized, what they may pay is the handling fee at the drugstore. But outside of that, a lot of medications are free of cost. Okay. I think that like what we have here is like an interesting like dynamic because like in the US where um, black people um, are not the majority we are not the majority of the population versus barbados which is so i think that like it creates like an interesting like different type like you're giving me like a different type of perspective which i appreciate um where it's hard because in the u.s we definitely have a lot of communities of color and black communities that make up um the lower portion of um, our the just overall socioeconomic status and things like healthcare aren't as easily accessible. Healthcare and insurance aren't as easily accessible, be it um, quality um, healthcare providers in these types of neighborhoods. Um, insurance is very expensive. Insurance gets taken out of our paychecks, or like you pay, you pay for it like on your own. But like uh, yeah, insurance gets taken out of your paychecks, and then like you can you can select um how good of insurance you want like if you want like basic like just covers like the absolute bare minimum versus if you want everything covered like mental health and vision and dental um and things of things like that so it's like what you're telling me about barbados and how it um the healthcare and like the insurance industry is it's not like one of the top 
um, money generators for your country is definitely a new perspective. It's something like I'm not used to because here in the States, like we pay for everything. Like you go to the pharmacy, you're going to have to pay. Medication can be very expensive. This is the um, part of the reason why like a lot of um, our people, like a lot of black people here, like the stigmas of mental health um, continue to per, um, be perpetuated is because a lot of people can't afford being able to go and receive help like that they need. Like a lot of our services um, are very expensive, like thousands of dollars expensive. And if the insurance doesn't cover that, then it's just like, we're kind of like flat out of luck um, versus people that do. And I'm not saying that, the, that we don't have people that can afford it because we do. But um, one of the things that like I strive to do is I wanted to help eliminate or at least reduce um, stigmas as far as like seeking mental health care. But one of those stigmas, of, um, unfortunately, is the cost and people not being able to like pay for the cost. And I think that like this type of act definitely is something that can help people not just here, but just people across like um, our diaspora to be able to um, afford to be able to go to the doctor. I mean, like it might not be like a um, as much of an issue like paying for it like, like as it is in Barbados, but I know definitely here it is one of the reasons why people don't go to seek help is because when they are here, you know, I see patients all the time. They're just like, I don't need to be here. Like, I got to get home. I got to have a job to work. I can't afford to be here versus people that simply cannot afford the cost. They don't have insurance to cover their um, their stay in our hospital. They don't have insurance to keep up and like maintain their medications after they get discharged. So I think definitely um, the lower health care cost act is something that could, that marginalized communities could definitely benefit from. Um, I don't know, do you have anything else like you wanna add about like financial, I don't know, like are there like other like financial relief um, programs in Barbados or or just like, how about like you talk about like some of the like the clients that you see, like has anybody ever like expressed to you like they don't know if they can afford the cost or like are your services affordable to your clients? <laughs> If that's not too I, personal. I work. I tend to. Work, I, I tend to work with clients where they are. Uh, some of my clients will pay upfront, you know, and there are others who will say, "Well, I'm having this issue, but I can't afford this." Mm -hmm. And I try not to turn people away because of money. I'm here to help people to return to that homeless. Sometimes you just have to work with people where they are. And um, for me, having a world that works for everyone is very, very important. I'm not mm -hmm. saying that a patient shouldn't pay because I encourage payment of some form. However, should a practitioner, should a healthcare worker turn some way away, someone away because they don't have the resources? Right. If I know that they can get the same resource at the polyclinic or somewhere else, I might just do a one-off with them and then refer them, you know, go see so-and-so at this place because there you can get that benefit mm -hmm. without having to put out a whole lot of money. Exactly. Um, we Healthcare do have in, in any area is costly. Yeah especially especially for private businesses um we do have a comment um ty m says right the healthcare system in the u.s is treated as a business so they're looking to generate income which is why i said sonia that like here in the u.s it's it's a billion dollar industry we make a lot of money off of what we call big pharma which is like just pharmaceuticals um like that's just that's just pharmacy alone being able to get your prescription um we have people that go into um private sectors and private businesses to practice on their own and you know as a person that is um looking to open a practice um in the future i personally feel as though um i did go to school and i i do want to be able to um make the money back um and provide like a good lifestyle for myself but i also believe in not just turning down a client because they can't afford it. Like I've been in a situation um, 
in therapy where my provider um, has charged me for like appointments that I missed or just like my my co-pays with my insurance would like change almost every time or um, change a few different times, especially with my psychiatrist as well. And it was really hard to keep up with at one point. And um, I thought about leaving and just probably doing my own thing or just kind of using some of the coping mechanisms that I had already learned previously uh, within like our sessions, because it was just, it was a real hassle to get back and forth and to be able to keep up with paying for those appointments. And I was in college at the time, so I did not like have a steady job to continue paying for prescriptions and um, paying for my visits. So I do have a, a level of empathy for people that, um, for providers that know that they it, it costs to run a business, yes, and the cost is obviously going to have to come from a client. But at the same time, I don't, I, I feel as though, like I do um, share very similar beliefs with you that clients, like, it, I don't know, like I, I wouldn't want to turn somebody away because of what they can afford versus what they can't afford. Like, I feel like maybe down the line, like, you know, it's just something that could be figured out. Um, but as far as them being treated, like who else is going to treat them? Because like I said, here in the United States, every, like it's it's money first, services later. So um, that's definitely something that I feel like I look forward to um, changing. Um, another act that I found was the mental health. Um, well, I should be very holistic. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that I take a very holistic approach to mental health care and the money. Yes, it is important because there is that cost of living that practitioners and other healthcare workers have to undertake. Mm-hmm. However, sometimes you must make a judgment call and say, you know what, I'm going to structure my pricing in such a way that even if I have to take in one or two clients, for not paying, my structure allows me to cover that. My pricing structure allows me to cover that. So I, I think in pricing, maybe we need to have a percentage and say, okay, this percentage will cover those who can't pay. And yet still you have to minimize the number of persons you see who cannot pay. As I said, here in Barbados, there are clinics where people can go to. Mm-hmm. I understand people don't like the stigma of walking in the gates of a mental institution. Exactly. But this is something that people have to understand. The mental illness is not a sin and it is not a crime. For me, I've always approached it as the same way your physical body can have an issue, your mind can have an issue. Mm-hmm. That unseen part of you can have an issue. The brain can have an issue. And this way you need a psychiatrist to come in. Mm-hmm. Your soul can have an issue. So just as all these things have, you know, little deformities going on for want of a better word. And you can go to a doctor for the physical, go see someone and don't be ashamed about it. And I think, I think that's one of the things that we need to speak to. People should not need to feel ashamed because they're not feeling okay at the mental, emotional, spiritual level. Right. And you know what, that definitely, um, I was gonna talk about um, the Students Act, um, but you said something that reminded me of um, one of the other acts that I wanted to talk about that was um, passed here in the States is Restoring Hope for Mental Health and Wellbeing Act. And it was uh, passed earlier this summer and basically what this act covers is um more access to substance um use disorder prevention and treatment um programs and but the part that it made me think about was how um mental health care should be integrated more into the um primary health care um visits and things like that so i know here in the states um when people go see their regular doctor, their physician, they there's like a very small portion um, of your visit, like your it could be like your annual checkup, where your doctor might give you like a questionnaire, or they will ask you the questions themselves about 
how you're feeling mentally and usually those questions are like are you depressed or like um do you feel tired or sad most most days um have you ever felt suicidal have you ever acted on those suicidal feelings um or have you ever attempted suicide and usually um those it's just about like maybe five or six questions and they get I feel like it kind of gets swept under the rug because if you don't like score high enough to like where like your answers are kind of alarming, it gets swept under the rug. And then your doctor never asks about like that again, and probably until your next visit. When in reality, you could be lying on that questionnaire because of stigmas um, or the, your answers are just not as alarming as is, as they as it would be to be like, okay, I'm looking at this questionnaire. You said, yes, you've attempted suicide. Um, now you have to go to the emergency room. So I've always felt like there should be some type of policy put in place where there should be some sort of mental health um, portion dedicated to your primary care visits. Like, I, I feel like physicians, primary care providers should work very closely with mental health care providers. Because like you said um, earlier, I was now bringing it back to your comment was um, just like something in our body can be sick, our minds can get sick as well. And, and I feel like mental disorders and your body, like it, the things that can happen in your body like disorders can be very comorbid. So it's like, you can be depressed you know, and you can start overeating, you can start undereating, you start developing um, eating disorders, you can develop um, type two diabetes, you're just not taking care of yourself. So um, I think that that's what you, um, that is, sorry, I was looking at a comment, I lost you guys for um, more than 10 minutes with internet issues. No, um, Saba, we did not um, answer your question yet, but we will get to it. Um, but no, I, was I just saying... want to say that until mm -hmm. we start to look at health in a very holistic way, mind, body, and soul, mm -hmm. we're going to continue to see lots of issues because we're not bringing balance, and we have to bring balance into the mental, into healthcare. In other words, when you go to see your GP, and this was covered in last week's session, where the question was: Should GPs be? doing more work with the patients getting into the mental aspect first you know where mm -hmm. are you how are you feeling i don't want to hear about your pain here your pain there first because in some cases we have what is known as that psychosomatic mm -hmm. um behavior pattern going on within the body because there's something wrong with the mind and the mind is sending signals to the body something is wrong and, and they have all this trapped energy in, in different areas that sometimes if you release it at the psychological level then you find you don't need the medications you you don't need to be hospitalized because the psychological aspect of that problem has been taken care of and and when you start to think differently about yourself your health changes you become um for want of a better word better energized and, and that's what we're working with primarily the energy within the body system yeah the spiritual thing that keeps us going and once you can make that healthy then everything tends to work better for you and i'm sure that all of us here have heard of miraculous healings from terminal illness just by people changing their perspective of that illness mm. so mental health and physical health they're all linked together with your spiritual health and that's why i encourage people to look deeply at their spiritual practices at their belief system what's going on within your mind first yeah i definitely i definitely um agree with that because I know like one of the um, common issues like in the black community is um, as far as like it, within your body is like high blood pressure. It's very, um, it's very prevalent within um, black Americans. And, you know, some of the physical symptoms of high blood pressure could be like headaches or just, th you know, things like that. And without 
real so your doctor will try and treat the headaches and the high blood pressure with prescribing you high blood pressure medication and say oh take maybe ibuprofen or tylenol for your headache but in reality you probably have a headache and high blood pressure because you're stressed and you're not really and the the um your primary care provider is not acknowledging the stress portion of it well why are you stressed you know you're going through like a lot of life changes say you're an older you're a mid-aged adult your parents are getting sick maybe passing away you're in between jobs you have kids things of the sort maybe you have traumas that weren't addressed from when you were younger and the reality is that maybe a lot of those things could be not solved but treated um would you would probably benefit more from being treated at with a mental health care provider um, somebody that can sit and talk with you and maybe i'm not saying that this is this is the only right answer but maybe you will start to see some of your um your symptoms be alleviated once you start going and sitting down and talking with somebody and um having somebody you know check in with you every so often and somebody that can help you manage your stress instead of slapping a band-aid on the physical symptoms because they're not going to go away if you don't ever address what's like keeping your mind clogged up you know i want to share this with you because eating disorders create diabetes and the high blood pressure issues and i remember when my sister committed suicide back in the early 80s mid-80s I moved from 190 pounds in a few months to 180 pounds because mm -hmm. I ate consistently. I never mourned my sister's death until two years ago, maybe less than two years ago, when I was taking my doing my studies to become a practitioner. But I ate. I ate to you know just soothe my own inner pain, to deal with my demons. I just ate. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the disorders are that we physical disorders that we see are really linked to emotional and mental disorders. And if anyone had told me that I had a mental health issue back then, I, I would have disagreed terribly with them. I was like, no way, I'm fine, I'm fine, you know, because I felt that I was that woman who was so strong that I could deal with anything. Mm -hmm. But for me, it showed up by my eating patterns, and over the years I continued to just have that bad eating habit until I became diabetic. Yeah. So our emotions play a, and I, I'm using the word emotion, but our mental health can show up as physical illness as well. Definitely. Everything is linked, everything is connected. Mm -hmm. So do we need a reform in terms of our policies? I think policies should be holistic, that it should cover all aspects of health so that it leads to better mental health. Better mental health leads to better productivity within the community, within jobs and everything like that. Mm. Yeah, it definitely should be integrated more within like your primary care, you know, just like to wrap that up. I definitely, definitely agree. I don't like the way that it's separated, kind of like how here in the States, um, dental is separated from like your regular medical insurance and i don't understand that because your teeth are in your mouth your mouth is on your body so how is that not medical um the same way um your head your brain everything like that type of stuff is it it's literally connected to your body so i'm not understanding why um there at before this there weren't um many policies please yeah I would like to answer that for you, but then it would take me into the realm of theology where we speak of oneness. And until we get to that place where we recognize that there's only one, our bodies are one body, not 10 different bodies, and everything is, is about unity, mm -hmm. then you will always have this separateness going on. And, and a lot of it will help our theologies, how we've been socialized to think of things and duality and separation. Yeah. But if we can't back to that place where it is about oneness it's one body everything is connected everything operates under one system there's one life force that energizes the entire body if you can bring it to that and again i'll come back to being holistic if you can bring it to that then we can create the healing that's not just for persons with mental health issues but persons with any other kind of disorder 
there's some questions that I think we should answer. Like Ty is asking mm -hmm. about the perspectives of an individual that would prefer a spiritual practitioner versus Luton. Well, what I want to say, Ty, is that as a spiritual practitioner, my job is to return my client to wholeness, to, to find that place of wholeness. I'm dealing with the soul and I'm dealing with the mind. Um, whereas a medical doctor is going to look at the physical body, I look beyond the physical. And I'm going to use another term. I, I look at what is, we, we would turn the metaphysical, that which is not seen, but we know it is there. Mm -hmm. I hope that I've answered your question. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, I don't have much knowledge about um, a, spir a spiritual practitioner, but what I think, um, as far what I, I guess, if I were to see a spiritual practitioner, um, to, or in, or if I were to integrate that a part of my um, my mental health care plan, what it is now, I think that what I would want in a, a practitioner to be able to see that I probably would not get from a medical doctor here, at least in the States, is somebody that integrates my personal um, religious and spiritual beliefs um, with my mental health. So if praying and maybe journaling to God or something like that is a coping mechanism for me. I would want my spiritual practitioner to help um, help me kind of figure out how to integrate that into like my mental health care plan and to, I guess, help or maybe educate me a little bit more about maybe things that like I don't know, um, maybe like answer some of the questions that I, um, I probably have. Like if I was I don't know, maybe like if I started to question my uh, my religion or maybe if I started to question like my spiritual beliefs, um, somebody that is a little bit more experienced in within that realm could like answer for me and help me kind of like put me on like a, I don't know, maybe like a new spiritual path or help me down the spiritual path that I'm already on. Um, and, you know, with doctors, I think that this also um, comes with cultural competency. Because I know as um, Black people, we do have a, um, people that are spiritual and religious do have to integrate that component into our everyday lives and tend to rely on that, especially as a coping mechanism, you know, praying, um, grieving, and but feeling, um, accepting grief as it comes because we know that, you know, it's a part of like God's plan. Um, I don't mean like get religious or anything, but like I'm just speaking from my own personal perspective and um on behalf of my family i know that that's something that like we rely on um so i think that like things like that is important and th those types of aspects you can't find in a medical doctor because what they know is like kind of factual information like things that you can get like out of a textbook um and they don't really consider other aspects kind of like religion they just see like kind of like what's here what's in front of me right now is a patient presenting with this problem and this is what i'm going to solve they don't integrate that kind of like spiritual component versus somebody that kind of i'm going to disagree i'm going to disagree with you there because there are medical doctors who integrate there is Deepak chopra there mm -hmm. is melissa rankin i hope i got her name right and one of her books and i'm saying one of her books is called mind over medicine and she wrote from her own spiritual experiences as well as a medical doctor there are several medical doctors and scientists people like bruce lipton um who have integrated science with metaphysics and quantum physics who understand that there is within the physical form something else that keeps that form going and who can explain it a whole lot better than i could you know, but what I'll say is that there are some who integrate, who recognize that beyond what they know physically, there is something else at work. And there are doctors who will say, look, we've had healings that we cannot explain, you know, a patient coming to see us with terminal cancer and then they come back and they go to some shaman, go somewhere, come back and completely healed. It's I would love to see more of those. So there are, I feel there, like there are there. They are there. Yeah. They I are would the like I would yeah, they are more comfortable, like under um, like with a a, a, a 
provider that integrates like that type of experience because I feel like that would be more um, assuring to me that I have somebody that can relate to me on different levels um, with me as a patient and them as a provider. Um, kind of like having like that, um, more, just more of like a, a a more reassuring connection with that person. So I definitely think that that should, I, I would love to see that integrated even more, I guess. I yeah, there, there is that. And, I, and I've known of this for quite some time, for many years. I know I have a friend in Germany who was an alternative medical practitioner who worked out of a hospital in Germany. There's a young lady who moved back to Barbados who worked also as an alternative practitioner, medical practitioner in Florida. So there are some hospitals that incorporate, you know, the other forms of science into mm -hmm. their science, who recognize it is all science. So right. they, they are there. And right. there are hospitals who hire spiritual practitioners. They're, especially in Canada, you know, you see these big ads come out, we're looking for a spiritual practitioner to work and they'll list all the qualifications needed and the experience needed. And it is pretty much what you said, persons who can identify with a patient where they are in terms of that patient's understanding of God. Okay. Help them to make sense of things from a spiritual perspective. Yes, I definitely appreciate you um, disagreeing with me and offering me that new perspective. <laughs> um, I know that, well, I shouldn't say I know. I, I've experienced a lot of doctors that kind of just stop it at like what the medical um, side is. So I would definitely love to see more um, more doctors kind of integrate if they do, because, you know, it's definitely OK. Um, yes. With agnostic um, doctors. Um, I personally like I would love to see um, that type that type of care. Also yeah, there, of there, there is that. And they. Um... The thing here is to have policies that reflect when, when you're creating policies, policies must reflect that there are going to be other types of healers coming into the equation, especially now with the world moving towards, I want to say a lot of shamanistic beliefs and practices resurging, especially for us as black people, mm -hmm. where certain practices, especially in the Caribbean coming out of slavery were prohibited things like obey obey is now legal on our books and a lot of people think that obey was something sinister but it was just um the use of herbal medicines uh, you know herbal medicines and shamanistic practices to help people mm -hmm. to heal but there were people who thought oh no this is something sinister and something outside the scope of what our religion teaches and it was banned for several years made illegal so now that we have a resurgence of people going back to a lot of old traditional methods of healing, especially healings that came out of the African continent, I think that going forward, healthcare policies should include some of these older practices that are now making resurfacing. Yes. And you know what? So for everybody out there that has um, Netflix, there's this really good documentary that I watch, excuse me, documentary that I watched, it's called How to Change Your Mind. Um, it's a different um, conversation because then it starts going into like the legalities of, um, like kind of like you said, um, bringing back um, the more traditional ways of um, providing treatment and curing um, people. But it's called How to Change Your Mind and it's about um, different psychedelics that people have used historically um, to treat mental illness like um, I think I definitely know um, some of them were depression, anxiety, but they talked about like ketamine. They talked about LSD, um, different different hallucinogen, uh, different hallucinogens um, that people have used. But then it also kind of goes into, um, like I said, um, how the government has tried to control that and like make um, these substances kind of like illegal, um, like um, how traditional shamans like would practice. Um, but again, like that's just kind of like another conversation for us. Another conversation, yeah, because right now we're dealing with the policies, and I'm, I and I think mm -hmm. we have veered a little bit from policies into other things. But mm -hmm. policies create that framework for all of us to work in. That is, the practitioners, the healthcare practitioners, mental healthcare practitioners, and the clients, patients that we see. 
so that we have a holistic policy, a policy that incorporates what I do, what you do, and what the psychiatrists do so that we can all collaborate in terms of helping to create a world that works for everyone. Mm -hmm. yeah. Rather than I'm just in it for the money and I want to make as much money as possible. And who does Sonia Hart think she's coming in here trying to get some of this money, you know, but collaborate. If mm -hmm. we can collaborate as mental health care practitioners, we will see more healing taking place. Exactly. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of policies are definitely put in place with an intention to help, but there are policies um, that have been created to kind of oppress and to, again, that's another topic. Um, yeah, and I would like to speak also on resources, that there are resources here in Barbados, especially with the pandemic happening. Um, took a stand where we now have hotlines, um, at various government agencies for people to call in to deal with their mental health issues. And there are some that are specific to the very young. I do not have those names with me at the moment, but okay. Barbados has taken that stand and I, yeah, I'm taking that stand to make sure that there are those hotlines and things that people can call. Whether or not people are aware and they're using them, that's another matter. Right. And, um, you know, I, as it is here in the States, I definitely want to get to um, some of these questions before we end, but that is um, here in the States as well. I remember the suicide hotline was kind of like the only one that was like ever really talked about, but now they've, um, they've created hotlines for alcohol use disorders, opioids. So it's not just like substance abuse um, and, and just in one program, but they have split it up to, for your own, um, to just be a little bit more specific and a little bit more inclusive. So that way it's kind of like not all um, uh, substance use disorders are being like grouped into one. Um, so I want to go back to Saba Ome's, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, um, your question. Um, and I looked at it a little bit, I'm not sure if um, I understand, but if you want to, if you want to um, clear it up. <laughs> says, I want this question to be answered, and it is about being reclusive from your own toxic family after forgiving them. Is it a good practice? And even if it is not, I not I choose to, as I know some family issues like a conundrum. Um... If you, um, Saba, if you're still on, if you want to um, like re-clarify your question, you definitely can. Um, I'm just going to move on to the next question. Um, Joshua Brown says, do they have holistic professions in Barbados? If so, what is the difference between the use of a holistic profession and a spiritual practitioner? Okay, that's a big question. <laughs> that is a really big question. We do have holistic professionals in Barbados and we have Reiki practitioners. Um, there's Reiki, there are pranic healers, there are people who are into alternative modems of healing. The difference between the holistic practitioner and myself as a spiritual practitioner is that my job is to return people to wholeness using the teachings of science of mind and that's what i use the science of mind teaching science of mind philosophy to help people return to wholeness i deal with what's going on in your mind at a spiritual level the other professions do some similar work but they also do some physical body work as well all right so I hope that um, helped answer your question, Joshua. Um, Saba also said, I wish I could be a volunteer for spreading mental health group as many people are suddenly suffering and there needs to be addressed. Um, I wanna speak on this personally. Um, this was something that I also had issues with um, because I wanted to be more of a mental health advocate. I wanted to start like creating a platform for myself because not only am I trying to um, school myself with this and like um, get my master's degree um, to begin um, as a mental health uh, practitioner. But I also want to figure out how, like, what are other ways that I can get involved without, like, actually, like, having just, like, having a job. What are some, like, ways that I can volunteer? 
So um, this platform, um, Black Mental Health Matters, is a platform that I volunteer for. I think um, just going on like LinkedIn, um, LinkedIn, uh, not job or zip recruiter, but uh, different volunteer sites. But I think I want to say LinkedIn um, will probably be your best bet because it's a really good platform to um, network on and just kind of like get in touch and just like at least just start talking to people um, about like different ways that you can get involved and maybe use like use or create like your own platforms to begin um, advocating for um, mental and spreading mental health awareness. Because like I said, that it, that was me about like maybe a year, two years ago, just wanting to like really get my foot in the door, but not knowing how. So um, I found this opportunity on LinkedIn. I think that LinkedIn is definitely a great platform. Um, Sonia, do you have any like resources that you would like suggest to people that would want to get like involved in like, mental health? I'm thinking, and at the moment I would go with you. It is LinkedIn. I have seen a few others places advertised. Um, there is Black Mental Health. There is um, just Mental Health. You know, you just do a search on the internet, and lots of them will just pop right back up at you, and you can investigate. Yeah. Investigate. There are yeah. tons of them out there. Or maybe just walking to an institution and say, look, I would like to volunteer in Heartland and or put together your own program and say, this is what I can do where I'm at. Yeah. I know there's um for any viewers that are like near college age or in like college, definitely um think about getting involved on campus. That is a really that was something that we didn't have time to touch on, but um getting involved in like campus um mental health um, organizations are even starting your own is definitely something that is like well needed going into schools um even like volunteering with the kids after school something that like can i don't know there's just so many different things like within mental health that you can do to volunteer and like show up for like other people that um come up as like as like other opportunities you can go to like your local hospital and see like if there are any volunteer opportunities there if you have a pet um Hospitals do allow volunteer um, emotional pet services, you know, for their patients. So you can definitely, you know, take your dog or cat, given that they are like safe. Um, and I think maybe like follow like different um, regulations, but given that they are safe enough to like have on like a unit, you can always like bring your um, your pet. And I know that's something that we do at my hospital. And yeah, just so um, just like Sonia said, just get online and start doing some research about um, different opportunities near you. And we definitely suggest LinkedIn. Um, so with that being said, um, Ronnie Voltaire is watching live from Kampala, Uganda. Hi, Ronnie. Um, I think that's it. Do you have any parting comments, Sonia? Yes, I would like to say that you cannot wait for a crisis to happen to talk about mental health and to get people aware you have to speak to those persons who appear to be well because there's a very thin line between being mentally well and being mentally unwell and sometimes people are not aware of the symptoms that they're carrying yes, for mental health very thin line. So if you can, yeah if you can speak to people all the time you know it is like when your mental health immunity starts to go, there should be symptoms that you should be able to identify. And if we can reach people before they reach that peak where they have to be institutionalized or go on medication, I think that is the way to go. Start talking about it with kids because children do display mental health issues that we say, so he's always just behaving badly. Start talking to young people who are thinking about having children, about the issues that can come up especially with transference from one parent to another in terms of the mother's mood not being the happiest. Children can be born sad. There's so many different areas where this conversation can go so that people seek help sooner than later mm -hmm. or have to be forced into getting help. Thank you. Thank you for those words. And I think as far as what I would um, leave this conversation with saying is, 
um, if you're ever looking to get involved in like legislation, but like you also care about mental health and you want to be a mental health advocate, I definitely would start off with going to your local government and just seeing how like different ways that you can get involved because um, the legislative branch in the United States is composed of the Senate and the House of Representatives. And, um, you know, these are people that are here to kind of represent our thoughts at the nationwide level. So definitely getting involved in your local government so that way these things can get passed on to like the state level and then, um, then to the national level. Um, I'm not sure how it works in Barbados or in whatever country that you're um, watching from, but please definitely, definitely, definitely look into um, just learning just learning a little bit more about how you can represent um, the things that you care about. In this case, it would be mental health. And how can you um, use your own platform or create a platform to um, spread awareness? So I would also um, say that to our viewer, Saba. So um, I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you guys so much for watching another episode of Black Mental Health Matters. Thank you so much, Sonia, for speaking to me again. It's such a pleasure You're to be so welcome. again. Um, and I hope you guys all have a great day. So yeah, you guys have a good one. Bye. Bye.